In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever, and unto the ages of all ages, Amen. Today's Gospel reading is a story about a man who was um, an outcast of society. And he was an outcast of society by uh, his own doing. You see, his occupation, his job was to be a tax collector. And in their time, this was usually somebody who was an indigenous to the area of Roman occupation. So he was like someone who was from the people of that area. So he was a Jew. And they had to pay a really high price to earn this occupation. So they had to pay a lot of, he paid a lot of money to become a tax collector. And probably most more than likely, the only way that he was able to procure that much money so that he could buy the office of tax collector was probably to sell his land. And that was a really big deal for the people at the time because to sell his land meant to sell his land meant to sell the inheritance that God had given to them. So if you remember back way, way when Moses and the people of Israel leave Egypt and they walk through the wilderness and they enter the promised land and Joshua divides for the people the land and he gives to each tribe a part of land and each family and each tribe and each and so on. And so for them, their land was something that was given to them by God directly. And so it was something incredibly precious. And so for this man to go and to sell that was, you know, was, was just such a terrible thing. And so he was completely outcast by his society. Despite all of that, despite all of his crimes, which he mentions that he had extorted money from people, taken money from people that he shouldn't have taken from them. And despite all of those things, there's something very peculiar about this little man that we don't, we don't know. And I still don't know after having read and heard and prayed this gospel a multitude of times, I still don't know. And it's the crux, it's, it's, it's the crux of the whole gospel. And how did this man who had no regard for the tradition he had received from his elders, had no regard for his religion, had no regard for his nation, had no regard for his fellow man. This was, he was the scum of the earth. How did this man who was the scum of the earth end up being a role model for us in the church? It's, there's one, you know, you have to ask yourself, where is the inflection point? Where, where is the change of direction? Where did it happen, right? And it's not very clear, but our first indication of it is, is this. This wee little man named Zacchaeus says he wanted to see Jesus. That's our first indication. Why did he want to see Jesus? We don't really know. Did he see a miracle? Was somebody, one of his relatives healed or something like that? What's the, uh, what's the uh, direct relationship? It's not clear. It's not clear from the gospel. But everything starts when this wee little man named Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. And he wanted to see him so bad that despite his dignity, despite his honor, despite everything, he climbs a tree 
and he sits in the tree to wait for Jesus to pass by that way so he can see Jesus. He's willing to go out of his way. He's willing to do a very undignified act. He was, he was somebody by now who was very rich, although hated, he was very rich and feared, you know. And so imagine, a, a, you know, a Bay Street banker in their pinstriped navy blue suit climbing a street sign because they want to see a homeless person walking by. The whole thing just doesn't make any sense. When something doesn't make sense, okay, when the, when the visible things don't add up, nothing comes from nowhere, okay? So when the visible things don't add up, you have to ask yourself, what is invisible which is at play? Something invisible happened in the heart of this man. We don't know what it is and obsessing over it, over it is not gonna get us anywhere. But one thing we know, that the first step in his change was him wanting to see Jesus. And the message of all of the readings today is telling us and asking us, do you want to see Jesus? Do you want to see him? Well, of course, I mean, Father John, I woke up early and I got here, got to church and this and that. And, you know, and besides that, the other six and a half days of the week, I'm a good person and I do this and I do that. Of course, I want to see Jesus. Yeah, but really? Like if I, I, was, I was thinking about this this morning on my way in and I was asking myself if I can remember all of the moments I've prayed this week, right? I'm sure there are many moments that I don't remember that I prayed, but... The ones that I remember. Why did I pray? I prayed because somebody was in trouble and they needed God's help. I prayed because I prayed because I was in trouble and I needed God's help. I was I prayed because I needed direction. I had a big question in front of me and I didn't know what to do. I prayed because I was anxious and I needed comfort. I prayed because I had a bill to pay and I didn't know how I was going to pay it. I prayed because See, none of those are, I prayed because I wanted to see Jesus. All of those are, I went to Jesus because I wanted something. I needed something, which is good. I want to tell you, like, when people come to us all the time just because they want something, sometimes it irritates us. It doesn't irritate God. God is far too humble for it to bother him. Come to him because you want. Come to him because you need. Come to him. Don't. Some people tell me, you know, Father John, I'm embarrassed to go to God because I only go to him when I need something. Don't be embarrassed. Go to him. He's so humble. It doesn't bother him at all. But I want to tell you something. It's you and me that miss out. It's you and me that miss out when we don't have any time in the schedule, any time in our lives, any time, any space in our relationship with God that's not about other things outside the relationship. Like, I have a relationship with my wife. So every conversation with my wife is, do you need me to buy groceries? Do you need me to pick up some milk? What are we eating for dinner tonight? Can you cook, can you cook us this? Oh, by the way, uh, you know, well, I'm almost out of underwear. Do you think you could do the laundry or do you want me to do it tonight? That, you know, every conversation is something like that. Where's the relationship? We've become roommates. We've become, we've become business partners. But 
It's not, it's not a marriage. I tell you the truth, in most marriages these days, 90% of the communication is that. And you know what? Fine. That's okay. That's okay. Because life is busy and so on, that's fine. But there has, to be, there has to be some time when I delight in my wife. There has to be some time when she's talking to me about the groceries and I just stare at her aimlessly with a smile on my face and she says, you're not listening to a word I'm saying and I say, I'm not, you're just so beautiful. I just don't know what to say. I didn't hear a single thing you said. I was so distracted by how lovely you are. There has to be moments like that. Otherwise, we become business partners. There has to be moments where I go to God because I need something and I look in his eyes and I just get lost and think to myself, what did I even come for? Why was I here initially? You know, there has to be something like that. Otherwise, we just become God's business partners. We become, you know what we become? We become his servants. But what did Jesus say to his disciples in John 15 before, like one of the last things he said to his disciples before his crucifixion? He said to them, I no longer call you servants, but I call you my friends. Because, why? Because everything that the Father has revealed to me, I have revealed to you. Jesus wants to share all of his heart with me. And I want to ask him about the milk and the groceries and I want all of these other things. And I promise you, I promise you, he isn't upset. He doesn't want us not to go to him because we only go to him when we need stuff. He wants us to go to him when we need stuff. And if you, go to went, if you went to God 40 times this week and asked him for stuff, that's great. All, he's, all I'm saying is make them do those 40 times when you went to God and asked him for stuff. But Give it, another, give it another two or three or four or five times this coming week where you go to him, not because you want stuff, but because you want him, because you want him as a person. You know what the, the result of that was? The result of that was that it says Zacchaeus received Jesus joyfully. Like it was a pleasure for Zacchaeus to have Jesus over for dinner. It wasn't a chore. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, oh my God, now we have to cook and we have to clean and we have to this and we have to that because we have Jesus coming and Jesus doesn't come by himself. He's homeless and he collects all the other homeless people with him and brings them over and this and that and oh my goodness. No, he received him joyfully. It wasn't a chore. Because there was already, already there was delight in the relationship. There was delight already in the relationship. So it was easy for him to receive him with joy. It wasn't, you know, people sometimes come to me and they ask me, Father John, I, I, I have no joy in my, I wish to be more joyful. Look, joy isn't something that it is, is something you do something to do something to become joyful. It doesn't work that way. Joy is the product of a disposition. Joy is something which naturally comes. Like, how do we get rid of darkness? We turn the lights on. The, the darkness goes away as soon as there's light. Joy is an, the natural product of us taking delight in something. I don't walk into an ice cream shop and ask them, you know, I wish to be joyful. I just buy an ice cream that I enjoy and I delight in it lick after lick and I'm happy. 
right? Because I delight, I'm taking delight in that. What's missing, what's missing in our spiritual lives sometimes and in our relationship with God is to take delight in Him. And you know you're there, like it's really helpful to know what, what are the landmarks that you should expect. And the Gospel gives us a hint of two landmarks we should expect when our life is full of delight and we delight, we genuinely delight ourselves in the Lord. The first is joy. The second one is Zacchaeus. What does Zacchaeus say to Jesus? He sa it says, he answered Jesus and he said to him, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. So the first thing, we often lump these things together, but they're actually two separate things. I give half of my goods to the poor. The first thing was generosity. And I've seen that a hundred times in my priesthood. When God has absolutely nothing to do with me, touches somebody's heart and I happen to be present, almost always they take their wallet and they open it and they empty it. And they want to give everything they are. They would give the shirt off their back if I would let them. They want, they wish to give Jesus everything. He gives, I give half of my goods to the poor. Well, wait a minute, when he said you, they wish to give God everything. He didn't give everything, he gave half. What are you talking about? Where did you get this everything? Ah, see, Zacchaeus was smart. He knew the third thing that was going to come. He knew the third thing that was going to come from wanting to see Jesus and having seen him. Joy, generosity, and the third thing is he repents and makes restitution. If I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I give him back fourfold. Now, I want to ask you a question. No matter how much money this guy had, okay, I didn't really do the, like, the multivariate equation and try to solve it. But no matter how much money this guy had, okay, he had $2 million. He gave half of it to the poor. Now he's got a million left. He restores to every single person he's taken something from wrongly fourfold. How much money does this guy have at the end? Nothing. Nothing. He's ruined. Financially, he is ruined. But he doesn't care because he has Jesus. Because Jesus came to visit him. That is the third thing that we can expect to find. The first was joy. The second was generosity. The third was to make restitution. He wants to make it right. He wants to make it right. Every f mistake he's made in his life, he wants to make it right. He doesn't wish to carry on. I tell you the truth, I confess before you, for the, for the greater part of my life, for maybe 30 years of my life, I had, I had this attitude towards the world, towards my work, towards uh, my friends, towards everything, that I'm a pretty smart guy, I can have the cake and eat it too. Like, I want to see how far I can go and what I can get away with. So I would, I would do this as a teenager. I would pray every morning, you know, a little bit less the day that I prayed before. I know this sounds completely ridiculous. And I would want to see at what point God would no longer bless me. Like, I want to see where's the breaking point, you know? And various other things. 
in our lives sometimes, we're trying to see what we can get away with. When, when we have this kind of joy, Zacchaeus isn't trying to have the cake and eat it too anymore. Jesus can have the cake and he can have the baker and he can have it all. He wants to make restitution. He wants to right all the previous wrongs and he doesn't care what that's going to cost him. I'm encouraging you. I'm, I'm, the, the, purpose, the purpose of the message today is to encourage you and to encourage me to find a space, to make a space, to create a space this week to go to God just desiring to see Him, just wanting to encounter Him, just wanting to get lost in His gaze, just wanting to enjoy Him, just wanting to see what He has to say. You know, a, 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 a life-changing moment in my life with God once was I was, uh, I was on the train. I was just commuting, I was just commuting home from, from, from university and, um, and I realized something. I realized that um, with my friends, I would always make a point of asking them how they're doing before I would tell them how I'm doing. Because I'm an extrovert, I'm a talker, uh, and so uh, it's easy for me to get carried away telling you about my life and not take a moment to ask you about yours. So I'd make sure that I ask people, how are you doing? Um, and, you know, and maybe once or twice or three times to, to give them an opportunity to share. And I, I realized that I don't do that with God. So I decided that time, I said, Lord, you know what? You know how I'm doing and I know how I'm doing and we can just leave it at that. Today, why don't we do something different? Why don't I ask you how you're doing? What's on your heart? What keeps you up at night? What breaks your heart? What are you upset about? What are you, what are you worried about? I know you don't worry and I know like I'm projecting on God and it doesn't really make any sense. But nonetheless, you know, what's, what do you want to tell me? What do you want, Lord? I sat there and I didn't really get you know, an answer and like the, the roof of the train didn't open, light shine, bellowing voice from the heavens, nothing like that. So I figured, let me open my Bible. I opened my Bible. Where was I reading? And just where was my bookmark? My bookmark was in Matthew 25. I found Jesus telling me, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was alone and sick and you visited me. I was naked and you clothed me. And also, the opposite, I was hungry and you did not feed me, I was thirsty and you did not give me to drink, and so on. And I felt in that moment that God, where is God's heart? God's heart is with the need of every person, with every person on this train, with every person who's going to be on the platform. Every single one of those people has a need, and God, Jesus has aligned himself with the needs of those people. He's aligned himself completely with that person's need. If you're thirsty, Jesus has made himself thirsty so that he could be thirsty with you. If you're hungry, Jesus has made himself hungry so he could be hungry with you. If, he was, if you are naked, naked is, has lost your, your dignity, you know, or feel like you've lost your human dignity, you know, you've been ashamed publicly. Jesus has also accepted to lose all of his dignity and be ashamed publicly and be crucified on the cross that he may share with you. In that moment, I realized what, it, what Jesus really means when he says that when I, I was sick and you visited me, 
Jesus has made himself sick so he can be, so he can share in the experience of this person. So when you visit this person, you're, you are indeed really visiting him yourself. And this, this it's, it's when our spiritual life takes that turn that we start to search for God and we start to search for him in the poor, in the rich, in, in the sick, in the well, in, in, in everybody that we meet. That what we were read in the Pauline becomes what we find. St. Paul says, I did not come to you with wisdom of words. St. Paul said to them, look, I, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee trained at the feet of Gamaliel. There's probably nobody more eloquent in the Roman Empire in religious matters than me. But I didn't come to you to blah, 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 blah with wisdom of words. I came to you in weakness. I came to you and I met you where you are. And he goes a little, a little further when he's talking and he says, he says this, he says, don't forget that it's written, no eye has seen and no ear has heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him, for those who love him. Today, God is inviting you and he's inviting me. He's inviting you and he's inviting me to enter into his presence, to come and to meet him, to come and to enjoy him, to put life on pause for half an hour. It's not going to go anywhere. And to enjoy him for who he is, to delight in him for who he is. Bow your head with me now and say to him, Lord, I want to see you. Like Zacchaeus, I want to see you. And like Zacchaeus was willing to do whatever it took, even if it was undignified, even if it was completely outside of the realm of normal behavior for someone of his social standing. Lord Jesus Christ, I also am willing to do what it takes to see you. I'll climb up a sycamore tree, I'll climb up Mount Everest if I have to. But Lord, I want to see you. I want to delight in you. I want to receive you joyfully. I want to pour out my heart to you in complete generosity. I want to make restitution and repentance for the past that my whole life here forward may be a delight in you. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. I have sinned. Forgive me, my fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. Please pray for me.